If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You ever feel hopeless? You ever feel like no matter what you've done or what you're doing, it seems to go nowhere? When it comes to your physical health, you've done everything you can and your body's still deteriorating? When it comes to your job situation, you've wanted that promotion, you've wanted a better job situation, and it's still the same one that you had last year and you thought you'd move on by now. Maybe you've really worked at those relationships around you only to find yourself just as frustrated, if not even more, than you were yesterday. You see, you and I can name many different things. We've tried it, and many of those things still seem to not go the way we want. The message for you, the message for me, is that there is hope, but it's outside of us. That hope is found in the face of Jesus Christ. It's found in someone who has victory over death. You see, most of us, we live for the here and now, though we think of eternity quite often. What's sad for us is that when we think of eternity, we look at it many times in small glimpses rather than the big picture. What's sad for many of us, including those that are in the, in the church of God, is that we don't value Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf enough to realize that there's eternity waiting us. The hope is a sure thing that we have that's found in Jesus. It's not something that is movable. It is unshakable. It is the anchor to our soul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11, and then we'll jump in to a few, two specific texts here, and we're going to look at the gospel expounded and the gospel applied. And we're going to deal especially with the resurrection. Why is it so important? Why is there really hope beyond this life? But let's read verses 1 through 11 first. Verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, He was seen by James, then by all the apostles." Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they... So we preach, and so you believed. You see, we're going to be looking at two specific things here in this text, and we're going to expound in a few other passages. We're going to look at the gospel expound, and we're going to look at Christ's death for our sins in verse 3, Christ's resurrection from the dead in verse 4, and Christ's appearance to others in verses 5 through 11. Number two, we're going to look at the gospel applied. You see, the gospel is not enough for us to know about. It needs to be applied to ourselves. 
Number one, it must be, first of all, it needs to be received. It needs to be affirmed. See that in verse one, the second part, and it must be held on to. In verse two, let's start off with the gospel expounded and Christ's death for our sins. In verse three, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So why is it important for us to understand why Jesus died for our sins? Why would that be important? When Adam partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he did so in disobedience to God's command. Now, what exactly happened that Adam's sin caused death to, f- to pass on all of us? Well, Adam died two different ways. One is physically, his body started deteriorating. All of us know that. Um, from, the, from the time that we're born to the age that we're at right now, we know that we're not what we used to be. And the second way that he died was spiritually, a separation from him and God. You see, Adam in the Garden of Eden disobeyed God and took of the fruit that God said not to partake of. That is why many people, when they look at Scripture, when they look at themselves, we have a proclivity to give ourselves credit for something that really is incorrect. You see, most people start off with the premise, I'm a good person. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, we're all born innocent? That's absolutely antithetical to what Scripture says. In fact, we're all born sinners. One of the reasons why many of us have a hard time with it is we tend to try to approve of ourselves before God, particularly those of us that have not trusted Christ yet. One of the things that tends to happen many times is people tend to think they're a pretty good person. But if you were to ask a child to lie, you wouldn't have to train them in that. They would do it naturally. In fact, most of us as parents have never had a training session with our children. We've never had a lying 101 course. They've done it on their own. In fact, one of the reasons why many of us know our children are sinners is we know exactly what happens when we get home after a church Sunday. In fact, many of that happens, much of that happens right after service even. Sadly, what many of us don't realize is that God gave us a remedy, and that remedy was Jesus Christ. That gospel message is our remedy. You see, many of us don't realize that Christ's death for our sins accomplished way more than we can imagine. In fact, what it did was it took away the penalty of what we deserved, which was death, separation from God forever and ever. You see, most people say we're ultimately going to be separated from God forever and ever. What they don't realize is they're going to be separated from God's gracious nature. They will have God's presence because God is omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He's always around. You see, you can't escape what God does. I can't escape what God does. And that's one of the reasons why it's sad for us. Many people think that the only people that are bad are the really bad people, right? The ones that commit incest, murder. They steal something from somebody else. They're typically a pretty good person. Sadly, when when it comes to the definition of good, our definition is not God's definition. Our definition is our own. In fact, Jesus said there's only one that's good, and that is God. So if God is the only one that is good, he's the only one that defines that word. One way that we miss the mark, ultimately, is simply not owning sin for what it is. You see, many people think of the egregious egregious sins that they commit, and they don't realize that the small areas of their life of omission, not giving God the glory he deserves, is a sin in and of itself. 
You see, most people in our culture, they're always listing off the Ten Commandments and not realizing that many of them, they're breaking constantly. Most people focus on the more, like I said, egregious sins. What they don't realize is worshiping anything outside of God and giving credit to Jesus Christ for being the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world is egregious sin in and of itself. In fact, Jesus says that you ultimately don't need to be condemned. You are already for not believing him. We start off by default in condemnation. In John 3, verses 16 through 21, here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. That's our default position. That's our default because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You see, most people think, I'm fine. I don't need to trust Jesus. At the end of the day, I'm a pretty good person, and I will meet the standard at the end. What they don't realize is your standard is a totally different currency in heaven. In fact, there's only one currency that's accepted, and that's the spotless blood of Christ. That's the only thing that can give us eternal value. You see, one of the things that's sad is most people don't realize that they are already condemned by merely being born in this earth. They were born sinners. They don't have to do anything else. We're condemned by default for not believing Christ. But Christ has been given to us as a way of escape. In fact, you and I don't get to tell God how he gets to operate in his world. And sadly, that's what a lot of people try to do. They try to create a God in their imagination that fits their mold and likeness. And what they don't realize is that God that they create is one that falls apart very quickly. You see, God never changes. He's the same. He's always stayed the same. We change. Our opinions change. Our perspective changes. And many times our spiritual analysis, if, you're, if you will, our eyes, they see things differently as time goes on. But here's where it's important for us to pay attention. Number, the second part, Christ's resurrection from the dead in verse 4. It wasn't enough that Jesus paid for our sin. He had to rise again from the dead. We're going to talk about here in a moment. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You see, the whole message of the gospel rests on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, our beliefs are empty. It's not worth it. It's not worth gathering here this morning. We're just a wonderful country club. It means nothing. As Paul puts in verse 17, listen to what Calvin says here about this transaction that Jesus does on our behalf. For our sins, that is, that by taking our curse upon him, he might redeem us from it. For what else was Christ's death but a sacrifice for expiation our sins? 
But what about a satisfactory penalty by which we might be reconciled to God? What about the condemnation of one for the purpose of obtaining forgiveness for us? He also, he speaks also in the same manner in Romans 4.25. But in that passage, on the other hand, he ascribes it also to the resurrection as its effect. That it confers righteousness upon us. For as sin was done away through the death of Christ, so righteousness is procured through his resurrection. This distinction must be carefully observed, that we may know what we must look for from the death of Christ and what from his resurrection. Incredible statement by Calvin. The death takes away our sin. The resurrection offers us Christ's righteousness because his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been given access to God the Father. When Adam sinned, he sinned against an infinite God. And there's only one way to pay back an infinite God with an infinite sacrifice. That is why Jesus had to be God himself. He also had to stand as a representative for Adam. So he had to be man. That is the only way that this was possible, to offer eternal payment for our sin. The doctrine of the Trinity is more important than you and I realize when it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. In fact, Jesus rose from the dead proving that he is God and that his payment on the cross was satisfaction to, the God, to God the Father's wrath. There would be no point in us celebrating Jesus Christ as Lord if he didn't rise from the dead. No point. He'd be no different than any other wonderful teacher that's existed on this earth. That is why the resurrection is such a key point to the gospel itself. In fact, Paul gets pushback from many when it comes to the resurrection in this chapter. You'll see that throughout. First of all, he says this. He says, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, if there's no empty tomb, everything that Paul is preaching is worthless. And he's a false witness. He's a false witness. Christians should not just gather together because really there's no point. We're all bearing false witness. He also says, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, we're still in our sins. And all of us are lost for eternity. We'd have to pay our own way. Guess what? That's an eternal payment. Which is why hell is that real. And if you're watching and you don't know Christ, it's that real. He also says, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, Christians are living with hope only in this life. They're just good, morally upright people living a decent life in this society. And he actually makes the statement, he said, we should be the most pitied among all people. People should feel sorry for us that we're doing this whole thing. Oh, Christians might live according to the commands of Scripture and benefit society, but what's really the point if it all ends here? But if Jesus is risen from the dead, 
which is what Paul actually argues for, then our earthly, our natural bodies will be raised again for eternity. And this is not just merely a spiritual resurrection, if you will. These are physical bodies raised again to be able to be in the presence of God. There's a literal restoration of our physical bodies to the ones that are fit for eternity. If Jesus is risen from the dead, our sin has been paid for in full. Full payment. Have you ever had a bill that you were glad you finally paid off? This is the ultimate payment. This isn't one of those bills that you'll ever have somebody come collect again. This is once and for all, payment in full. Jesus paid it all. His sacrifice has been accepted. And if Jesus has risen from the dead, our hope lies beyond the grave. Christians can live more at ease knowing that this life is not all there is. Sadly, too many of us still think that, that this is all there is. It does not mean that we don't pay attention to what's going on, but believe you and I don't need to be frazzled by it. This life isn't what it's all about. Eternity is. And that's why Paul makes this next point in the gospel expounded. Christ's appearance to others. In verses 5 through 11. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's how the gospel works. The enemies of Christ become the most greatest proponents of Christ. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach... And so you believed. So some would be asking, why are you mentioning this in, in expounding of the gospel here? Well, first of all, Paul mentions that because it is important. It's very important in each and every one of our lives. We've all heard the gospel from somebody else, have we not? There's always someone else that God has touched that we've heard the gospel from ourselves. The gospel is shared by those that have been touched by the grace of God. How many of us here, by a show of hands, have seen George Washington in person? Anybody been around? How do we know George Washington existed? Witnesses, right? People that have seen him in person. And guess what they did? They wrote it down. Passed that on to us. You see, there were credible witnesses during this time that resurrected, the resurrected Christ made himself known to. In fact, Paul mentions the 12 disciples that Jesus appears to at that one time, with the exception of Judas. Remember, Thomas himself doubted whether Jesus really rose from the dead. Listen, believer, many of us doubt whether what we believe is true at times. Look no further than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
In fact, when he finally sees Jesus, he worships before his feet, says, my Lord and my God. If you turn to John 20, verse 29, it says this, as Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What's interesting is that Paul goes on to mention over 500 people seeing Jesus at one time. Emphasizing to the church that he's writing this letter to that most of these people that saw the resurrected Christ, you could go talk to. They were available to confirm the message. In fact, the gospel according to the Hebrews quoted by Jerome records that James, the brother of Jesus, swore that he would not eat bread from the hour that he drank the cup of the Lord till he should see him rising again from the dead. James, the brother of Jesus, did not believe Jesus was God until after the resurrection. This is the confirmation that Jesus is unique in all of history. This sets Jesus apart from every religious leader that's ever existed. In fact, Paul mentions the disciples, and then he also mentions the apostles, the messengers commissioned to share the good news with others. In fact, last of all, Paul mentions himself. Paul obviously had some things that crushed his pride in his life earlier. In fact, he was very much opposed to Jesus to the point of killing Christians. I love this one meme I saw on Facebook the other day. I normally don't like a lot of the memes out there now. But there's one meme that really stood out, and it has really a picture of Paul entering glory. And the saints that he persecuted, thrilled. That's how the gospel works. That's how the gospel works. The very persecutor of the church becomes the greatest proponent of the gospel. Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. Which was his journey to kill Christians. Paul from that moment on was never the same and became what many would argue is the greatest apologist for the Christian faith the world has ever known. So is it enough to know what the gospel is and how it's expounded to us? It's not. Because the gospel has to be applied. The gospel has to be applied. First of all, it must be received. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. The gospel itself must be received in order to be of any benefit to us. How many of you seen many things in life that you really wish you could participate in? Or maybe it's a, a giveaway that somebody has on a website that you saw, and you're like, man, I wish I could win that. I wish I could be a part of that and get that for myself, only to realize you don't qualify. You ever seen that in the fine print? Exception, if you're a resident of Massachusetts. <laughs> Here's the reality. There's no exception to this one. Everybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Salvation itself, past, present, and future, 
There are ramifications for each. In the past, it deals with Christ removing the penalty for our sin in his death on the cross. Once we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, he takes away the penalty for our sin. We no longer have to pay that. Debt paid in full. That's not where it stops, though. In fact, there's a present. The power of sin no longer holds reign as it used to in the past, which is why the Holy Spirit's been given to us. You don't have to sin, believer, in order to enjoy grace. In fact, you ought to not sin to enjoy grace. Because you should be so grateful that Jesus paid on your behalf that you don't want to offend Him any longer. You've been given that power by the Holy Spirit. And one area that I'm envious of people like Rick about is the future, which is no more presence of sin. I don't have to be tempted anymore. Basking in glory. No temptation to be found. No longer having to fight the battle. We'll no longer be bothered by sin. As it won't be present when we live this world. All these ramifications don't mean anything if we don't receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's actually quite simple. You believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Scripture clearly says, any that received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. To those that believe on his name. It's not just to be received, it's to be affirmed. The second part in which you stand. The idea is one of building on that foundation. Jesus is the foundation and we build on that. We don't swap the foundation out. Jesus is a firm, solid foundation. But we stand on that foundation. We don't move. The ones that received the gospel stood on the gospel message. They did not shy away from defending the gospel. Listen, church member, you don't apologize for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I don't know why we apologize for what we know is true. This process of standing firm can only be evident over time in a believer's life. That's particularly why Paul mentions the gospel as one that needs to be held on to. In verse number 2. By which also you are saved. Notice what he says right after. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. You mean there's a false mental ascent that many people have? Oh, sure. It's gone on for a long time. There are many people that have prayed prayers and live like Jesus doesn't matter to them. Period. The statement by Paul is not declaring that all the Corinthians believed in vain, but rather that it's a reminder that Paul had already preached the gospel that they need to stand firm in. They need to hold on to it. This past tense preaching event is evident from the statement that Paul opens with, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you in the past. 
preaches past tense. Paul previously preached the gospel to these believers, and he warned, unless you have believed in vain. It refers to the admonishment to these believers that they should continue in this gospel message. But if they accepted another gospel, that is vain. That is empty. In fact, Galatians deals a lot with that. The gospel that Paul preaches saves. Not another one. Another concoction. There's only one gospel message. In fact, in, in Galatians, he makes a statement, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. What Paul says by a different gospel is a swap. To swap the gospel. To put in place something else. The word means a gospel of a different kind. Not the gospel that Paul preached. The Galatians, like so many so-called believers today, have the temptation to turn away from Paul and the teaching of the gospel of grace into a gospel by salvation in works. In fact, in Galatians 1.8, Paul warns, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel... Paul is saying that even if there's a divine messenger that comes your way and wants to stray from what has been delivered to you, you don't accept. There are a lot of people that like the supernatural experience and then they don't realize that it goes contrary to what God actually said. Oh, believer, there's a real world out there that you and I are not aware of many times. But that realm, if it's contrary to what Scripture says, is not a realm that we should put our stake in. There are many in the church today that pervert the gospel message by adding or taking away from it. There are two main gospels that go off the gospel of Scripture. The first one is the gospel of works. They add the fact that we could still save ourselves by following the, the law and all that it says to the best of our ability. The problem with this gospel is that it negates the need for Jesus to come. If we can save ourselves, what's the point of trusting Christ? We just need to perform better, right? This gospel is pushed by those that live their life thinking they can undo the sin in their life by performing better today. They miss the fact that Jesus saves because man can never be good enough. Never. No exception. Ultimately, the idea is man just doing better and they can be saved. It never addresses the problem of sin because the problem of sin has to be dealt with at an infinite level that you and I cannot fulfill. And let's remind ourselves, there's no perfect person that's existed outside of Jesus Christ. There's also the gospel of license. 
This is the view that's quite popular in the church today, actually. It's, church, it's taught probably more prevalently in churches in America than the other one. This is the one that says, you can just do whatever you want. Let's abuse grace by sinning more frequently. God is really okay with us redefining what male and female is. Come on, church, let's be okay with this. That's the antithesis of Scripture. And that's denying who God said we were. There are a lot of things that people want to say are no longer gospel things. All of it goes back to the gospel. Our relationship with God goes back to the gospel. And our sin and how we define it before God defines what we view the gospel as. Sadly, what many in the church today do is make blanket statements, since God forgives, you don't need to worry about living a holy life. doesn't matter. The concept of sanctification is thrown out and replaced with good feelings. I just feel better today than yesterday, so I'm okay. Look, your feelings are so fickle. My feelings are so fickle. One day I'm feeling great, the next day it's horrible. You know that. You've probably had many experiences in one day of up and down. If that's how we're going to live our Christian life, it's not stable. It's not firm. Our feelings are not the determining factor. Sadly, what a lot of churches teach today, which is definitely a gospel of license, is that God loves me the way that I am. I don't need biblical instruction. Don't tell me how to live my life. God is a loving God. He's perfectly fine with all the sin I commit. You don't understand grace. And you obviously don't understand what Jesus paid for. It doesn't matter. As long as I'm not going to hell, it doesn't matter how I live my life. I want Jesus just to be my fire insurance. The church community doesn't matter. There's no reason I need to value the cross because at the end of the day, Jesus loves everybody the same. That's the gospel of license today. The problem with this gospel is it doesn't view sin with the gravity that God does. It demanded the death of his son. How sick have we gotten as a culture? It's disgusting that churches today are allowing and tolerating all sorts of sin that God is so strongly against in His Word and claiming that that is gracious and loving. You're re reaping wrath later on from God for doing that. There is no mercy for abusing God's grace. None. Especially when you're not defining sin the way He does. The gospel of Jesus Christ is literally the good news that Jesus paid for sinful man like you and me. And we need to stop looking at everybody else and comparing and going, I'm not as bad of a sinner, so I'm okay. That's not the standard. Parents, your children are not the standard. Your spouse is not the standard. God's word is the standard. The gospel needs to be applied by being received, affirmed, and held on to. So in conclusion, I have a simple question. 
It's a similar question that we've asked recently. And I couldn't help but get around this. I had to go back to this point. Do you have hope beyond this life? Those that are watching, do you have hope beyond this life? Do I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross, was buried, rose again the third day, and offers me salvation? Or do I believe that I can earn my salvation by just performing a little better than yesterday? Drinking less, cursing less, being nicer to someone in my Starbucks drive-thru. Do I take what he's done on the cross seriously, or is it something that is of little or no value to me? Church, you and I cannot, cannot forget the value of the cross. It's an excellent reminder of the Passover lamb on our behalf on Friday. Do I see myself as a sinner still needing God's grace, or do I believe I'm good enough? because of the things that I do or don't do. The gospel is a simple message that's been misrepresented by those that want to add to it and take away from it. Simply put, you're a sinner, you can't save yourself. Jesus is the Savior. He's the perfect lamb that took away sin. He died and rose again, proving he's God, and he is willing to take the punishment for your sin. It's already been offered. You must receive it. The gospel changes our lives in how we see things differently. We see sin differently. The church body differently. In fact, one of the proofs that you have become a child of God is that you have love for the brethren. Church member, how's your love for the church? Or you always got problems with the church. You love everybody else, but you don't like the church. It's amazing how many people want to love everything else but what God wants them to love. All these things would not be possible if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's finish with this. 1 Corinthians 15, right at the end of the chapter, verses 54 through 57. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written... Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.